We're in a Lenten series called Journey Towards Hope because that's what Easter is all about, hope. And we need hope. Hope is what drives us, motivates us. Hope is really what gets us out of bed every morning because without hope, we have nothing. I read a quote this week. It said, hope is like the sun, which as we journey toward it, casts the shadow of our burden behind us. As we journey towards Jesus, our burdens are made lighter. And our burdens and our hardships are cast in shadows behind us. Now, the first week in our series, we looked at Jesus' temptation in the desert to learn about how distractions of the world and our desire for instant gratification draw us away from Christ instead of towards him. Our temptations and our distractions They have the potential to lead us down paths towards dead ends, not towards hope. And then we looked at Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane and how prayer prepared him for the trials and hardships that he was about to face. But the disciples chose to sleep. And they were ill-prepared to face the hard times. In fact, they left Jesus completely alone after he was arrested. When he was arrested, the word says they scattered in every direction except the one that Jesus was leading them on. Now, this morning, our text takes us on a journey towards hope through worship. Now, we find similar stories of Jesus' anointing in the other Gospels with just a few differences mentioned. And we like to reason that these differences are, well, it's kind of like... A car accident. If, if five of you saw a car accident and we asked for a report, each one of you would give a different report. So we tried to reason away these differences by saying, well, the gospel writers, they all saw the same things. They just saw it from different perspectives. That's not true. That's not true. You know, our gospel writers, they were intentional. They were purposeful in their writings. Remember, last week we talked about Mark. He was presenting Jesus as a man of action. He was presenting Jesus as the Son of God who came to us as a man. And so what he does is he paints a picture in this text this morning of a man, the Son of God, who is the Messiah, who is worthy of our worship. But he places that story in between two others. He sandwiches it between malice and betrayal. Because he wants to heighten, this is the Son of God. He is worthy of our worship. But look, look what's going on around him. But there's one who recognized who he was. In our opening verse, it says, The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. The chief priests were just afraid of losing their status. They were motivated by self-preservation because they were threatened by Jesus' actions that he had just done in the temple when he was throwing the tables over. And they were threatened by his popularity. The people wanted Jesus, not them. And so they were looking out for themselves. They were looking to get rid of a troublemaker 
at any cost. They were looking to sacrifice another for their own benefit. And then on the other side of this beautiful act of love and worship, Mark finishes up the text with the betrayal from Judas. In verse 10, it said, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come. That's one of the scariest lines of scripture to me. They were delighted to see him come. The ultimate act of betrayal summed up in, they were delighted. Don't ever ever find yourself in a place where the dark side is delighted by your choice, delighted by your actions. And that's exactly where Judas is. One of Jesus' closest companions went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus. Mark puts the actions of Judas right back on Judas. You know, scholars want to say, why did Judas do this? He was one of the closest. Why did he betray him? Why, why, why? Well, that doesn't matter. What matters is that he did it. He made a choice, and Mark makes it clear. Judas chose to go. They didn't come to him. Judas made a choice, a conscious choice to betray the one who he had been following for three years. And so in between this evil plotting of the chief priests in the betrayal of Judas, these acts that were motivated by selfish gains, Mark gives us an example of pure adoration, of pure worship that was motivated by love and self-sacrifice. There's an old hymn that asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Maybe a better question might be one, and one that Mark presents in this text is, what was going on in your heart when they crucified my Lord? Because our acts of worship for the Lord are more about our motivation than the act itself. Now picture this scene in the home of Simon who previously had leprosy. So there's this air of celebration. Here's this man who had once been unclean, but now he was healed by Jesus. He was an outcast, and now he's back in the the mix. And so he welcomes Jesus and the disciples into his home. We can imagine that there was laughter, lots of chatter going on, until this woman walks in. I imagine it was strangely silent in that room in that moment when this woman approaches Jesus. And she takes this alabaster jar and she breaks it, allowing the very expensive contents to pour out all over Jesus. Now, by breaking the jar, that was all in commitment. There was no going back. She was committed. She was all in her sacrifice for her Lord. She gave all she had. She didn't just lift off the top and pour a little out. Just a little for Jesus. No. 
She broke that jar so all of it, Jesus got all of it, all she had. She didn't count the cost. And Jesus calls it beautiful. Acts of worship don't count the cost. When we're doing something for Jesus, it's self-sacrifice. We don't count the cost before we do it. Acts of worship take courage. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. When we take action on our love for Christ, when we show our devotion for Christ out there, the world is going to tell us that we're foolish. The world is going to tell us that we're crazy. Oh, that's just a crutch. That's what they'll tell you. When Jay and I first became believers, we were just captivated by Christ. And, and it was just, we just wanted to know more and more and more. And so as, as we just dove into it, into this thing called Christianity, and as we started going to church every week, and then as we started tithing, and we started going to church events instead of other events, and we started talking about God's work in our lives, this is what people said to us. You know, I don't have a problem with Jesus. You know, I believe in Jesus too. But don't you think you're taking the Jesus thing a little seriously? A little too seriously? You know, I believe in Jesus, but you're, you're taking this Jesus thing over the top. Really? That's what the disciples are saying in that moment, in their indignation. Woman, don't you think you're taking this Jesus thing a little too far? They didn't get it. They didn't understand who Jesus was. They thought they did. But they had no idea. This woman understood. How much is too much devotion for Christ? Is that even possible? We can't outgive God. The disciples, stand, they had walked three years with Jesus. Three years. And they can watch this act of worship and rebuke her. How dare you? You know, in demeaning her, you know they were demeaning Jesus. Jesus, you're not worth it. You're not worth this perfume, Jesus. A full year's wage, but you're not worth that. Mark uses a key word when he says, she poured out the perfume. Earlier, well, actually later in Mark chapter 14, Mark uses the same terminology from Jesus. When he's doing the Lord's Supper, when he's instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples, listen to the words he uses. This is my blood 
which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. See, the pouring out of the costly perfume was really a foreshadowing of the costliness of the pouring out of Jesus' blood. We cannot outgive God. But if we have any understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, then no gift, no act of worship is too much. Acts of worship need to flow from a heart of humility. This woman was getting nothing in return for her act of worship. She was acting selflessly. Now, when the disciples were rebuking her, we could use this money for the poor. We could be feeding people with this money. There was self-gain in that. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were promised a blessing by helping the poor. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, listen to the wording. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord, your God, will bless you in everything you do. The disciples are trying to appear self-righteous in their indignation. Look, we should be giving this to the poor. Jesus is smart enough to figure it out. He knows what they're doing. And so he, he sees right through their action, and he quotes from the same scripture. And he references it. This is what he's referencing. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. There should be no poor among you. So what Jesus tells them, they will always have the poor... It's a rebuke of their disobedience. There are poor among you because you're not being obedient to the law of God. God's word says there should be no poor among you because each of you is being obedient to take care of the needy. And so he puts it right back on. You can't love Jesus. He's, he's, he's got some wit. But he puts it right back on them and says, you will always have the poor because you're not being obedient. You're not taking care of them now. If you're not taking care of the poor, how are you going to do much for me? You can help the poor anytime if you choose to. Remember what Jesus tells them in chapter 5, 25 of Matthew. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. Whatever you did to one of these, you did for me. When Jesus rebukes the disciples, he's saying, if you can't even take care of the poor without thinking of the cost or thinking of the blessing for yourselves, how can you do much for me? Jesus commends our woman with these words. 
She has done what she could. In other words, what she had, she did. What she had, she gave. It's the attitude of the heart. It's the motivation behind the act of worship that matters. The motivation in our acts of worship will always point people back to Jesus. You know, when we visited the laundromat last week, that was an act of worship. When people asked why we were paying for their laundry, the reply was, because Jesus loves you, because we want you to know that you matter, because you have value in the eyes of God. Bags of hope, that's another act of worship. You see, acts of worship, they don't have to be big things. There's no such thing as an insignificant act of worship for the Lord. When you do what you can, he takes it and he uses it. Several years ago, we had a missionary couple. They were a missionary team in the Middle East. They couldn't exactly share where they were, just in the Middle East. And I was going through chemo at the time, chemo and radiation, and, and I just felt beat up. I just felt like, Lord, I want to do so much for you. And I can't, I can't, I can't do anything. All I can do is I, I can talk to people, and I can meet with people. And this woman, who is a missionary um, part of the couple, she had come, and she shared this verse. And she said, you know, when I went to the Middle East, she said, I didn't know the language. She said, I didn't know any medical stuff. She said, and I kept asking while I was there, Lord, why am I here? I can't do any of this stuff that needs to be done. And she said the Lord directed her to that scripture. She did what she could. And you know what she was doing? She was just meeting with the village woman. She was just meeting with them and helping them do some of their chores. And after they had left years later, she was still getting notes from some of these women. Do you know how much that meant to me? Do you know how much that time that you spent with me meant? And I went up to her after her message, and I said, you have no idea what your message just meant to me. And I told her my story, and, and she said, God will use whatever you have. And now look. God uses whatever you have, and he blesses it. It's about your heart. Just give him what you have. And he will magnify it. We find hope in our unrestrained worship of our Father. In our adoration of Jesus, that's where our hope is. We worship when we glorify him in our words and in our actions. We worship when we give back to Jesus what he's given us. And we worship when we respond in selfless acts towards others. When we worship, we find hope. I read a story this week about a little girl. We'll call her Sarah. And Sarah was in her Sunday school class one week, and the Sunday school teacher was doing a lesson on serving. And the teacher said, you know, kids, 
all you, everyone can do something useful for the Lord. And this little girl said, Miss Mary, I, I, I don't know anything useful. I, I'm not sure, you know, how can God use me? And the teacher wasn't re- really prepared for that kind of response. So she looked around the room real quick and she saw a vase that was sitting on the windowsill. And she said, well, Sarah, you see that vase over there? She said, you could, actually, you could put a flower in that vase each week. And she said, well, that's not very useful. And the teacher said, well, it's useful if it helps somebody. It's useful if you make someone smile. And so every week, Sarah picked a little dandelion flower from her front yard, and she put it in the vase every week. Nobody reminded her. Nobody talked to her about, hey, you going to bring the flower next week? No, she just did it. And then she got sick. She was diagnosed with leukemia. But she still remembered her flower every week. And then soon the pastor found out, and so he brought the vase up, and he put it up on the, the altar. And every week there was a flower in that vase because Sarah brought a flower in. And then she got very, very ill. And it, it was coming close to the end. There, there was nothing more the doctors could do. And as the pastor's preaching, he stops. And he looks back, and little Sarah, who's wrapped in a blanket, is walking down the aisle with her little yellow dandelion. And she comes down, and she puts her flower in the vase, and she leaves a little note. And she leaves. And a few days later, she passes away. And they read that note at her funeral. And it said, Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life. Thank you, Sarah. Choose to worship. It doesn't matter how big or how small. If your heart is there to honor the Lord, He will take it, and he will bless it, and he will bless you for it. If it just makes, it can be a note of encouragement. It can be a phone call. It can be a smile. It can be at Publix, just asking the cashier, how is your day going? Do you know how many times I talk to a cashier when I'm checking out, and they're so surprised that you're asking them about how they're doing? Because most of the time people are yelling at them or complaining to them. And their eyes light up when you just simply say, how are you today? Yeah, that's an act of worship. And it takes the eyes off ourselves. It takes the, the pressure off of our problems. And it brings us hope because now we're focused on another. Acts of worship. We need to choose worship in the good times. Choose worship in the hard times. Just choose worship. Choose to serve those around you. Encourage one another. Psalm 116, 12, the psalmist said, What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? The question we need to ask ourselves, are we doing what we can? Are we doing what we can? God's given us all, whether it's just a little bit or a whole lot. 
what are we doing with it? Because God's going to use it, and he's going to magnify it for his purpose. We heard two stories this morning about how God just took Debbie's story about going to McDonald's to just get a couple of sandwiches. And what did the Lord do? He magnified it. And Diana's story about finding the rain poncho. She was about to leave because the registers weren't working. And then suddenly the Lord steps in and she can get them all. The Lord will take whatever you can and magnify it for his purpose. And there's our hope. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for your word that teaches us who you are, that teaches us how to worship you, Lord. I thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, may, may we learn to worship better. Lord, as we leave this place, help us focus on others. Help us focus on, on you and your role and purpose for our lives and how we can make an impact, how we can love in ways that matter. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice. As we go our separate ways, may we honor you, may we glorify you in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.